0: Thanks for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. Our mission is simple, to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. If you'd like to visit us in person, we are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in beautiful Johnson City, Tennessee. You can become a giving partner by visiting us at Believer'sChurchJC.com. We love you, we are praying for you, and we hope you enjoy today's message. ago, there was a woman that went to the church or or had uh, started to think about coming to the church that I was pastoring in Kentucky, and she asked if she could meet with me first in my office to ask kind of a series of questions, basically to see if we checked off, you know, all the boxes as far as where, where she was. And we all have boxes, by the way. Before you go somewhere, you tend to have these preconceived notions about what you want to be there and what's important to you. And her questions were very honest. And they were pretty typical. Um, People have expectations of how Christians, or specifically pastors, even more specifically churches, are supposed to be. And I apologize for the spoiler early today, but if we are seeking to please everything that you wish, we have fallen into the disease of people-pleasing, and we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, Of course, we do hope this is a place that you want to worship. It's a loving place. It's a welcoming place. It's a very biblically driven place. But we also have standards uh, that we stand by and that we commit to very strongly. Over the last few years, I've noticed an observable difference in the way that people practice their faith. And I'll bet if you think about it, you've really noticed that as well. And this is what I'm talking about. Some people are really, really heavy on the, what I would call the judgment side. Meaning they're always looking at sin, and they've got like this, this mannerism and this way about them that they're just like always, before they're really ever getting to know people, sin is the first thing that comes to mind. And we could be honest enough to say that this has kept a lot of people out of church over the years. In fact, it contributes to the decline that we're talking about. Now, on the other side of the coin, you have people that we're just not going to talk about sin. Like, sin's not even a thing. Like, we know that we're supposed to love everyone. We're committed to that as believers, or we should be committed to that as believers. But, but sin just, it's kind of outdated. We're not going to talk about it anymore. It's just not really a thing. So you see these two sides. I think it's kind of interesting, and I think it's a big problem. So Jesus addresses this in an incredible way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This is the story, and this is typically, if you've got a subtitle in your Bible, this is typically what it says. This is the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this now because the Holy Spirit has confirmed this in my heart. This is going to be the most valuable message some of you hear all year. I didn't want to step aside from Unstoppable Church, the series that we've been in a series in Acts for a long time, 28 messages, some last year, some this year. But I knew when I looked at the condition of culture and where churches were that we needed this word today. I need this word today. So if you'll turn with me, we're going to be in John chapter 8 and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. This is a really, really cool story. And over time, this has become one of my favorite passages in the Bible. John chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. If you're new here, I usually read from the Common English Bible. I study from the New Revised Standard Version. But this is a Bible that I think is a very, very good translation, especially among people that are sometimes not as used to the Bible So John chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. I also want to encourage you to maybe consider going back and looking at this passage again very, very closely. It's a fascinating story. So this is what the passage tells us. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He returned to the temple. All the people gathered around him, and he sat down and taught them. "...the legal experts and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Placing her in the center of the group, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery." Notice he didn't say, We've heard this woman committed adultery or this woman has been known, there's, there's rumors going around, or her husband has told us that she's committed adultery. When I think of this, I see this woman literally being pulled out of the act. She was caught in the middle of what she was doing. So you can imagine the things that are probably going through her mind. In the law, which is directly where they're going to go, of course, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. Notice not men that commit adultery, just the women. Just the women are stoned, not, not the men. No problem, guys. Do what you want, guys. Slap on the wrist. No problem with you. That's a problem in itself. Uh, what do you say? They said, that they said this to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an ap- accusation against him. Keep in mind, they're continuing to try to do that. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. One of my favorite things about some of the mysteries in the Bible is we don't know exactly what he wrote. They continued to question him, so he stood up and replied, who, "'Whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone.'" So I'm thinking whatever he wrote in the ground must have been amazing to come up with that kind of revelation. I could never come up with a line that good. So whoever is was, was without sin should throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote on the ground. "'Those who heard him went away one by one, beginning with the elders.'" Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they now? Is there no one here to condemn you? She said, No one, sir. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on. Don't sin any more. If you ask someone that's been in church for a long time what this passage is about, nine times out of ten, they're going to say it's about judging others, that we shouldn't judge others. Now, while I do agree with this, that there's a lot to take from this passage about the fact, you know, you hear people say all the time, Um, Well, he without sin cast the first stone. You know, that's the common thing. We're not supposed to judge other people. And while I agree with that, we're often neglecting the command that Jesus gives the woman at the very end. And it says, go and sin no more. Or in our translation today, don't sin anymore. So it's like we really want to concentrate on this graceful side of Jesus, and we should. Like we've got to do that. But we've got to look at the context and the ending of what he's saying. Don't sin anymore. So, what I want to do today is I want to discuss two polarizing identities that are in the church, and they're in almost every church. Not every church, but almost every church. Two different kinds of people, and they're polarizing. Okay? We want these two identities to coexist, and eventually, that's where we're going to get. But instead, we typically have one of the two. The first identity, we're going to call the sin police. All right, that's what we're going to call them. And you know them. And there might be some of them that are in this room right now. And all they're looking to do is condemn people and tell people exactly where they are in their life that are wrong. You just love those people, don't you? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you, you love those people. You, you see them coming, and you're like running in the opposite direction. Is your aunt coming over that goes to such and such church? Yeah, take your nose ring out, or whatever it might be. Like, that's the way that it looks. But, but actually, it's a lot worse than that. Like, it's a lot deeper than that, and it hurts, and it damages people. So we have the sin police. And on the other side, we got a lot of these. We've got the love doctors. All right. So on the other side, we have the love doctors, and this is love is love, everything is love, we tolerate everything, sin is not a thing, you live your life, and I'm not talking about there being a problem with tolerating things. I believe we should tolerate things, I believe we should love people, but I believe we have to stand up for the convictions of this book right here. It still matters, and it's more relevant than it's ever been in, I think, any point in history. So you've got the sin police, and then you've got the love doctors. So let's look at both of these for just a minute because this is what's going to happen. I'm going to start talking about some of, some of the sin police and the love doctors. are going Yeah, go, Matt, this is wonderful. Yeah, you preach it. And then on the other side of that, the ones that are the love doctors are, are the sin police. They're going to be like, oh, no, we're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to do that. That's the way it's going to be. So we have to find a way as believers for this to coexist together. And there's a way that that happens. So let's look at both of these identities. And the first one that I'm going to look at is what we call the sin police. Okay, so the sin police. And some of you are going to be able to identify yourself as this group today. The biggest problem isn't that they're super judgmental. Now that is a problem. And it's a really big problem. But the biggest problem is that they have never been absolutely flooded by grace. They have never been completely transformed and changed by the grace of God. Because if you recognize where you were, and if you have an understanding of what some of your issues were, you have a very difficult time stepping out and judging other people because you recognize your condition and what you came from. So the second you step out to say, well, she shouldn't be doing this. He shouldn't be doing this. These are all problems. You recognize what you are in your flesh. Some of the things your spouse has said about you. Some of the problems that you have in the dark when no one else is watching. And you recognize you are a sinner yourself. So it puts you in that position. Because this is what's happened. 99% of us are around people that are exactly like us. All the time. So what happens is that people become, especially pastors, me more so than anybody, because I'm not necessarily always around Christians, but when they're around me, they want to be. That's what they pretend to be. This is the first thing I hear all the time. It's three words. Sorry, I cussed. I'm like, be you. Like, if you can't be authentic and I can't be authentic, we're not getting anywhere in this relationship. Don't start, oh, I'm part of such and such. Then they start telling me what church they're in. They've not been there since 1974. But they're telling me this is where I remember. I could say, oh, I saw somebody from your church here recently. I don't know who that is. Oh, maybe that's so-and-so's boy. No, he doesn't go here. Or you run into him in the grocery store, and you just say hello, and they're like, sorry, I hadn't been to church. This is the reason. And I'm just like, I was just saying Hello. But it's like that reality is there that like there's this perception and we're never around other people. So you get stuck in what's called the Christian bubble. It's the ugliest, darkest place that you're ever going to be because you're not supposed to stay inside the bubble. You're supposed to go out. So we have no understanding of the people that are in the world around us. So you have people that on a regular basis... Listen, and I'm not picking on people that are maybe just a little bit older. I'm picking on anyone that's inside that bubble... And can't understand what it looks like on the outside. So listen to how the religious elite... And they're in the bubble. all right, They're in the bubble. So listen to what they say. The legal experts and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Placing her in the center of the group. They said to Jesus, Teacher... Or, Rabbi, this woman has been caught in the act of committing adultery. Like, right there, like we pulled her out of the bed or wherever she was, like like this just happened. She was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone women like this. Now, what this is this is all law, this is all condemnation, this is all justice. And you know what it's also doing that Jesus would never do? It's magnifying her shame. It's bringing every single bit of that to the surface. Because keep in mind, she's not only dealing with the shock that she's been pulled out of this situation. Now, all of a sudden, this, this is not New York City. All right, This is not some metropolitan area. This is a village where she knows everyone. And all of a sudden, she's in the circle in this shame. So the question that I have for you guys is how many of you immediately seek justice? The second you see someone that doesn't look like you, the second that someone tells you they're not a Christian, they're of a different belief system, they practice a different theology than you, whatever it might look like, how quickly is it that you seek judgment? How many of you immediately rush to condemnation? How many times are you just waiting to point out a person's bad theology? It's like you're just waiting for them to make a post, and then all of a sudden you're going to get that thread going, and they're going to argue, and you're going to argue, and other people are looking back like myself and saying, well, this is wonderful for Christianity. Like, this makes us look wonderful. Yeah, just everybody, just get your popcorn out and start watching it, how horrible we are. Because everybody's judging one another about every little thing that is going on. What happens in this case, and as some of you may be in here, it's people at a lot of churches all over the place. Your heart has become a place of stone, and we want to fix that today. So sadly, this is the reason, and you guys already know this, that so many people have left the church. Because what do we hear? What do I hear all the time? Why don't you go to church? Well, I have PTSD from my upbringing. What are you talking about exactly? And and then it's three words. Those judgmental people. I hear it all the time. And maybe some of you that are newer to this church or before you came to this church, you wondered, am I going to be around those judgmental people? It, It really is my prayer And my hope that that hasn't been your experience. And this is one of the motivations I have right before Christmas. I'm going to do a series called Loving the 423. And we're going to talk about what biblical love actually looks like in the neighborhood and how we practice that. Okay? So that's the sin police right there. That's what they look like. Now, on the other side of this, identity two covers what I'm going to call the love doctor's. Okay, this is the other side of the coin. The biggest problem with these individuals is not that they love too much. You can never love too much. You can never love too much. There is never a point in which you should not be able to reach out and forgive someone, even if it's too dangerous to approach that person because of the past. That in your heart you reconcile to make things. That is literally the first step. What is it Dorothy Day said? It's one of my favorite comments. This will get some of you. You're going to fall under conviction when you hear this. I can only love God as much as the person I love the least. So I want you to think of that. That's my favorite quote in this world. Uh, uh, Dorothy uh, Day was a Catholic. Uh, She passed away. She had a wonderful biography called a long loneliness she was amazing spent her life working for the poor but she said i can only love god as much as the person i love the least so think about the person in your life that you probably love the least maybe somebody that you hate or you struggle with that is a reflection of what your love toward god looks like so we're not taking away from the importance of love look you got quiet in here love is love is very important it's what we're commanded to do before anything else so the problem is not That people are loving too much. The problem is they fail to recognize the real consequences of sin. There are consequences for sin. And I know that we want to define sin in all these different ways. But the Bible is very clear about the things that damage people. About the destruction that comes to people's lives. So this is the biggest problem. Jesus calls the Pharisees out. Listen, this is a beautiful moment. This might be top five. This might be top five most beautiful moments in the the Bible. Jesus calls the Pharisees out for their judgment. And you know the famous line. You've said it before to somebody before, too. You probably felt really cool and justified when you did say it. But let he without sin cast the first stone. You know, your, your mom's judging everybody. Well, I can't believe they dress that way and they do that. Mom, let he without sin cast the first stone. People say it all the time. It's a beautiful, beautiful line. And this is the beautiful part of the story. One by one, starting with the elders, which would mean the leaders... Or the older people that, w- that you would think had more experience. Starting with the elders, one by one, they start to trickle away. And they start to go away. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful example. I mean, this woman is looking and she knows how much so-and-so can't stand her. And how much so-and-so is this way. And she's feeling all of this shame and this, 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 these emotions in this moment. And obviously fear, if you think that you're about to be stoned. I mean, this is a very, very serious thing, and all of a sudden, one by one, I can just hear the sound on the ground, because we're not talking about gravel. Yeah. We're, do you know what the, the punishment looks like in the Middle East today? It's not, okay, I'm just going to chunk rocks at you. It's I'm going to bury you in the ground with just your neck up and throw these rocks at your face. All right, that's what it looks like today. Maybe that's not what it looks like in the Bible, but in a lot of Middle Eastern countries where this is still practiced, this is what it looks like. This is, this is cruel. Okay, so she's right there and all of a sudden those stones are being dropped one at a time. And some of the younger ones that are maybe a little bit less mature in their faith at that time, they're saying, Oh, well, did you see did you see John? John dropped his stone. Wait a minute. I'm a sinner too. Like In fact, I committed adultery last year. You know, it might be something like that. Like, I've I've got some of this same kind of pain and some of these same kind of struggles. Maybe I don't need to be so hardcore and legalistic about this. And so the stones start to drop one at a time because they recognize their fallen condition in front of a holy God. And then he comes close to her, and it's it's even better. Like, this is the best part. He comes close to her, and he says, woman, where are they now? Like, where are they now? Is there no one here to condemn you? And in her brokenness, and in her sorrow, she says, no one, sir. They're gone. And maybe the most beautiful words in Scripture, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. It's amazing. I'm still, after all these years, absolutely broken, By that statement. Let me tell you something. I have never committed adultery. And I can tell you for certain that I've never lived out the kind of shame this woman feels in this public moment. But I felt out my own shame over time. And what I try to do in messages like this that is focusing on this woman. This is just my, my sermon building process. I'm trying to get into her skin. Like, I'm trying the best to my ability in the 21st century to try to feel how she feels in this moment. Who is she? Have you noticed that we always feel sorry for these characters because they're the underdogs and like we have a tremendous amount of sympathy for this? Maybe she's a really bad wife. Or maybe her husband's a really bad husband and that's the reason that she's committed adultery. We don't know. Like, we don't know the exact context of what's going on in this story. But neither do I condemn you? Because I think about myself when I start to judge other peoples and myself sometimes I can be super judgmental. I can be selfish. I can be a jerk like it's a spiritual gift. I mean, like, being a condescending jerk is not a spiritual gift. Guys, I'm telling you this on Father's Day. It's not, it's not a spiritual gift. All right, but we recognize these problems that we have and these, these, these things that are just inside of us. And we're like, why? am i this way like like why does this thing come back like i thought i left that that anger or that bitterness or or that particular uh, sexual sin or whatever it might be i thought i left that thing and it's like it just continues to come back up and these are the most liberating words that you will ever hear and if you internalize those words today in your own shame in your own struggles with your own guilt and condemnation that maybe other people aren't even pouring on you, that you're just pouring down upon my life. The basis of my faith is needing to hear these words every single day. Neither do I condemn you. But I realized something. I was at a recovery meeting on Tuesday night. I go every Tuesday night, and I had an epiphany. And I thought, you know, there's just two kinds of people in church. And it's not Republicans and Democrats. Or it's not the ones that are... are you know, this way or that way, or the ones that are super bought in or the ones that are not super bought in. It's this simple. It's those who are willing to say, I'm okay. Like, I'm okay. Like, I think this is a good church. Like, I like it. I'm continuing to go back. But when it comes down to, like, getting deeper, and, like, get, I'm all right. I'm all right. Like, I, I, I don't need it in that desperate way that other people look. Like, I am actually okay. And then there are other people. And they recognize they're not okay. And they need Jesus the way they need food and water. And they need God every single day of their life. Because if I'm left for four days without this. If I'm in a place where I get too busy and I'm not stopping to pray. And I'm not recognizing the people around me. I am an absolute wreck that is horrible to be around. Y'all don't see it. Like, my family, they see it. Some of my closest friends, they see it. It's dark, and so I have to stay, like, chained to this stuff. But other people are just like, I'm just going to say this. This is a little bit off the topic, and this is just where the Spirit... I don't know how any of you spend one day away from this. I I don't know how you get by. Like, I don't know how you don't sense a desperation and, like, a gravitational pull toward it. Like, there are so many people that are just like, well, I am okay. If I go on Sunday, I can get a little bit. I can I can, I can, can pray on my way to work. I can have kind of these more general ideas. But you've got to dive deep in. You're okay or you are desperate. Now, you take ten desperate people. You put them in the same room and you've got a revival. You've got an... Outburst of the Holy Spirit, but the problem is there's not a lot of desperate people. A lot of people are like, um, "Okay, God, I'm going to sprinkle just like a little bit of this onto my life, and I'm otherwise going to kind of do it my way." And there is zero power in that whatsoever. But if there's one thing that is certain about Americans, when we talk about this idea of the love doctors and the sin police and things like that, we don't like to be told what to do. They're not going to tell me to put on a seatbelt. They're not going to tell me to do this. Not to, I don't care about the new law. Nobody's going to tell me to do this. I am an individualistic American. For years, I was in great shape. I was in very good shape. I ran about 5 to 7 miles almost every single day. Gained about 20 pounds uh, since we live in Tennessee. I've not been as disciplined. But in my mid-30s, I was having some issues with pain in the top of my foot. And I go to the doctor, and what they tell me after the x-rays and all that kind of fun, expensive stuff is they tell me that I've pulled some tendons in the top of my foot, okay? And um, I'd have to go through physical therapy, and I'd have to give it time. I couldn't run. I'd have to give it time uh, to heal. And here's how the doctor described it, and I'm never going to forget this. He said, this happens to people all the time. All the time, like some of you in here right now, you might have pulled tendons on the top of your foot. It hurts a little bit, but it's not going to really affect your life. If you're not like a hard runner or you're like exercising all the time, uh, cardio type stuff, it's never even really going to affect you. So he says this happens to people all the time and they do nothing about it, meaning they can live with and tolerate the pain. But if you want to continue to run the way you are as a lifestyle you have to go through therapy. It's something that you have to do. So if you don't want to do it, if running's not a big thing to you, you want to do other kind of training, don't worry about it. But if you're going to continue to run, you can. Now listen to me, church. You can survive with sin issues. You can. You can survive. A lot of you have been surviving with the same stuff for a really, really long time. You can live out your life believing whatever you want to believe. Some of you in here have very different beliefs than I do. And that's okay. Okay. You can practice tolerance toward everyone, confirm every lifestyle under the sun, and be known as a stand-up person. You can do that. That's your freedom. That's your ability. But if you want to run this race, you have got to repent and move forward. There is no other way. Well, there is a way, but it's not your way. There is a truth, but it's not your truth. And you see, I'm a better version of myself because I took care of my body and tried to take care of my body and went through the treatment that I didn't want to go through. So this is why Jesus says to her, and this is what we always leave out. Like when we're talking about, this is about judgment. This is what we always leave out and don't want to talk about. He says to her, verse 11, the latter part, go on from this place and don't sin anymore. So we look at the graciousness of Jesus. And how beautiful this story is. And how these men have, have, have grabbed this woman and like thrown her like in the center of this circle. Like as a public spectacle. Just for everybody to see. We see the compassion and the care of Jesus as Jesus approaches her. As they all recognize they are sinners and go away. But as she looks up at Jesus and he says, neither do I condemn you. He says, go from this place and sin no more. Because, you see, even though the idea of sin doesn't line up with 21st century cultural ethics, like it's getting less and less popular, you talk about sin, you're crazy. still does the same damage it's always done. still does the same damage. The physical therapy was hard. It was expensive. It was time-consuming. I had to take off work for like six weeks all of the time. But it was what it took to make me better. So as I see this woman and I try to envision what's going on in this scene, I don't believe the woman walked away angry because she was asked to change her life. Like, what do you mean I've got to stop committing adultery? I'm in love with it. I can't stand my husband. I'm in love with this person. What do you mean I have to stop? Well, I know you mean well and you got me out of this situation here, but but I'm kind of on a roll here. I'm going to kind of continue doing the things that I want to do. I believe in that moment when she saw the compassion of Jesus as some of you still never seen. When she saw the compassion of Jesus and that he wanted better for her in her life, that she was so flooded by the power of grace and forgiveness that she was thrilled for a fresh start. That she was so moved by the fact that the Son of God looked down upon her that she turned her heart over to the truth. Jesus did not send away the accusers or stress the problem with judging others so that the woman could stay the same. And he doesn't work in your heart in the way that he does and seek to move you out of your ways in order to bring about pain so that you can stay the same. He did it so that she could have a fresh start and a new life. Biblical love calls sin out. And the world is going to hate you for it. They're going to hate this. That's what Scripture tells us. They're going to hate you for it. They're going to call you intolerant. They're going to call you backwoods. They're going to call you out of touch with culture. They're going to call you everything. And the shame is that there are not more and more people that embrace this level of grace... And are able to step into this new life. So earlier I mentioned that it's rare for these identities to coexist. They must coexist. They must coexist if you're going to have a healthy church. This means that it's necessary for a third identity. And this is what I'm going to call very simply the balance. There has to be a balance. There is a balance between the sin police And the love doctors. John 1 is a beautiful chapter. It's one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. Especially some specific translations that you could look at. But verse 14 gives us the picture of what this balance is supposed to look like. John 1.14 says this. The word, the logos, became flesh and made its home among us. I love the way that Eugene Peterson's The Message translation says this. It says the word became flesh and God moved into the neighborhood. And I just love that. This is about the Son of God... Becoming flesh and present in our world. That's how John handles it in his gospel. We have seen his glory. Glory like that of the Father's only Son. Full of grace. Charis. And truth. Aletheia. Full of grace and truth. Full of love and telling people the truth they have to work together notice it's not grace or truth like what like you have to choose sides it's grace and truth in his book grace and truth uh, the grace and truth paradox randy alcorn writes this truth without grace breeds a self-righteous legalism that poisons the church and pushes the world away from Christ. This is the judgy people. Grace without truth breeds moral indifference and keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. Attempts to soften the gospel by minimizing truth keep people from Jesus. Attempts to toughen the gospel by minimizing grace keeps people from Jesus. It's not enough for us to offer grace or truth. We must offer both. Now, as an individual, and this is the same thing for any person in here that calls themselves a Christian, even though we're all a little bit different, our first responsibility above anything else is to love God and neighbor. If you can't do that, if you can't start there, you're in trouble. Our first responsibility is love. But it is not defined in the same way that society defines love. So you have to make the decision, like deep inside. How am I going to define? See, it's interesting because we've twisted everything. We talk about Jesus and inclusion, and Jesus was very, very, very inclusive. But people talk about drawing all the sinners and the tax collectors to the table for inclusion. That wasn't about reclusion. He was drawing them to the table for repentance. We see it over and over again. Did he love these people? Did he love the people that the religious people didn't? Yes, but it wasn't so they could stay the same. It was for life change. Yet we, we somehow switched the narrative and got that completely backwards to where we don't even, we just leave out certain parts. And they just happen to be the most powerful parts that we're looking at. So I'm going to say this um, as we close today. I believe that the woman who was caught in adultery was completely transformed on that day. Here's the thing, we have no evidence. She says, go and sin no more, but then that's kind of the end of the story. We go into Mark, or John 9, and we don't know exactly what happens, but I believe that she was completely transformed and her life was different after that day and these are the two reasons that I believe that for the first time in her life because I'm going to venture to say that her husband wasn't a wonderful person but I could be wrong she's definitely not getting the love from the legal experts and the Pharisees for the first time in her life she is touched with deep authentic love agape love And she's able to celebrate. Number two, it was so profound. It was so revolutionary. It was so life changing that she was willing to walk away from the things that she could not see were damaging her life. How do we do it? Full of grace, full of truth, full of grace full of truth. There are some of you, I'm just going to be honest, and I'm not saying this as someone I know, but but other people in your life may say this, you're just hateful. Just like the fact that people identify, they're like, he says he's a Christian. She says she's a Christian. That's the reason that I don't go to church. Like, I can't go to church with people like that. And then you've got this other side where it's just like, well, it's just whatever. Yeah, oh, oh, you think that's, well, I think this is a similar, listen, this is this is not. There are some things that we can disagree about because it's it's hard to interpret, but the majority of this book, it's not confusing. It's pretty clear on certain things. The hardest part of that is we're facing a culture that absolutely despises our kind. Plus, what what are you putting in your head all day? What is it that's going inside all day? What are the messages? That you're receiving all day. Is it culture? Or is it this? Because that is the life essence of where your world view comes from. Full of grace. Full of truth. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the balance. With all heads bowed this morning and all eyes closed. You may be in here in a place uh, today, and you're just like, man, I'm I'm super like I I am I am critical of some people in my family. I am critical of some of the people that are that are that are doing this, that are doing that. And I just need to repent of that this morning. I need to find this altar up here. I need to grab a brother or sister in this room. I need to ask them. Listen, guys, this is where it happens. This is where the spirit falls when we're real about pursuing these things. And there are other people in here, and you, you may be confused about what biblical love is supposed to look like, and you find yourself afraid to stand up for your faith. This is especially hard, the younger people are. Maybe you're in here today and you're just carrying an incredible burden that you can't even begin to explain, that is absolutely torturing your soul. News you got this week. Just gripping anxiety or loneliness or depression. A horrible argument with your spouse or one of your kids. And you need to bring this down today. We're going to open up the altar, give you guys the opportunity to repent, to confess, to do whatever it is that you need to do this morning in the face of a holy God. Father, we come to you this morning and we're just grateful for who you are. We pray, God, that we learn to trust you deeper and deeper as a church. And my prayer, Father, is that we're not a church. That people say, well, they're not going to talk about sin. And on the other side of that, if you go in there, you're going to be judged for every little thing that you do. But that, God, we find that balance that Scripture clearly shows us. Father, pour our hearts out, Father, the lonely, the broken, the hurting, those who are struggling, those who are trying to make some really big decisions in their lives right now. Spirit, help us to pour this out to you, invade this place, God, in a way that we simply can't. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. Make sure you join us again next week. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and information about Believer's Church. God bless and have a great day.